Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel and Adam to talk about Serpent in the Rainbow. The Serpent in the Rainbow is a 1988 American horror film directed by Wes Craven and starring Bill Pullman as an anthropologist who goes to Haiti after hearing rumors about a drug used by black magic practitioners to turn people into zombies. It's loosely based on a book by Wade Davis. We don't really know much about that book, so we're probably not going to talk about it a lot during the podcast. Um, but apparently it's based on his experience going to Haiti being poisoned, very alive and revived with an herbal brew and turning into what people would call a zombie. So it's uh, it's similar to Jacob's Ladder in a lot of ways in that respect, um, but it came out before Jacob's Ladder. Um, it also is notable for, I think, maybe having the coolest horror movie poster from that era. <laughs> I, I remember I, I, I remember I saw it when I was working at a video store. So I saw it like the, I saw it after it came out. I saw it in like the early 90s or something. But I remember always seeing that cover and it was just so it was just such a well done cover compared to all of the other horror movies on the show. Um, we might have even had a poster of it in the store. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. Um, I guess the best way to start since, Joel, I know you you hadn't seen it before and you had a stronger reaction to it. So uh, I want to know what you thought of the movie before we get into our reactions to it. Um, okay, so first of all, I want to say, I want to point out that I prefer a movie that I have a strong reaction to versus one that I have a weak reaction to, even if, like, in this case, it's largely a negative reaction, because there are things to really love about this movie, uh, but I have, a, I have a lot of scathing criticisms, too, so, oh, jeez, okay, so, I... Honestly, boil it down to three. Maybe boil it down to three, so we can. Yeah, let me. I don't even know. I don't even know if I have to get all the way to three. Because, like, first of all, this is a really cool movie, right? Like, it's got some extremely unique, creepy, awesome visuals. Um, it's got a little baby Bill Pullman in it, uh, who is doing his his level best in an extremely strange and demanding script. Um, great dream sequences that are really chilling. A really weird and fascinating and and eerily like resonant with real life villain um so there's a lot of cool stuff happening in this movie and i especially love some of the characters i, I think the characters are brilliantly realized in the film there's very few filler characters um you wind up really falling in love with all of them guy turns into a zombie the guy that can make people into zombies um even the bad guy super memorable so lots of really mm -hmm. good stuff in this movie let's let's start with that however um, it is marred by an extremely uneven execution and a terrible voiceover. Uh, the, the voiceover was, it was giving me Blade Runner flashbacks. It was really, really bad. It's its not, and I, there's some defense for it. I think that you were talking, Brendan, before the podcast about like, uh, this is kind of, tr he's trying to do kind of a documentary style, but it's yeah. not a pure documentary style. If it was just documentary, it would be, it would be more clear, right? This has a weird blend of sometimes it's a documentary, it's, sometimes it's not. It's documentary in the way that The Exorcist was, where it's shot, you know, that was shot by a, a filmmaker who was a documentary filmmaker, and you can see that eye on the film. And here, I think he's going for that vibe because he wants you to feel like you're following this guy. It it's, not, it's not, it's not, it's not, if that was the case. No, no, though. no. Like, well, let me be clear. It's not, it's not like a parody of a document. It's not like he's presenting it like Blair Witch where it's supposed to look like it's real. He's just trying to establish that mood, I think, with it, is the way that Yeah, it but, it, but it comes off as, like, 
like really it, it doesn't it doesn't he doesn't pull it off he he drops the ball on the documentary element entirely and it just winds up being a stale and listless droning monologue that goes on in random parts of the script that doesn't seem to connect to anything gives us information that's already conveyed by the film and ultimately really hurts the experience for me anytime that bill pullman started talking and it wasn't diegetic i just felt like turning mute on i was like i just want to see the image the image is beautiful you're you're screwing it up it's like if you're in like the a museum of art and you have like this extremely boring like Ben Stein guy just running on in your ear about the the minutia of all of these these paintings you're liking. And every time you're about to come to some realization about it, he spoils it by talking about it like half a second before it comes to you naturally. It's really frustrating. So I <laughs> you just mute it when Bill Pullman starts talking in, in his monologue voice. Trust me on this, it'll improve your viewing experience because otherwise this is a pretty great film. Um, I will say that its act structure is extremely weird. It's pretty clear it's based on a book, right? Yeah. Um, like, and to some extent, I'll forgive it for that. It doesn't, not everything well, has to If be I could just chime in structure. there, I yeah. like that about it because I get really sick of movies following act structures where it's yes. like, okay, yeah. here's act. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I don't know where this is going. I don't know when it's yeah. going to end. It's flowing naturally. It's character driven. It's driven by whatever is going on in their lives. That to me is a better way of making movies than modeling plays or modeling books. Uh, so to some so, extent, but the reason we do the act structure is because it makes sense to the way we tell stories and it's, it's satisfying on a dramatic level. So when you have a yeah. climax of the film where he escapes <laughs> Haiti with the powder and a guarantee that his lady love will be okay as long as, you know, he never goes back there. Uh, okay, that's the end of the movie. And then they have another climax where he has a voodoo showdown with the guy after being turned into a zombie, which makes him a zombie but doesn't make him a zombie. And it's No, just but that mess. works for a horror movie. See, a horror movie doesn't need that dramatic pinnacle of, okay, he escaped and she's fine. What it needs is you to think that he's escaped. And then, oh, no, it, the horror is still ongoing. And he has to return. And you know the stakes of him returning. So I, I like that, that he returns, but like I shouldn't be worried about the logistics of how this is working in the movie. I don't know. It it bothered me. And maybe well, if it happened a little earlier in the movie, I'd be more forgiving. But it happens where it feels like we've had enough movie that it's it's wrapping up. Well, it's, well, an, I mean, hour and 30, it's an hour and 30 minute movie. It's not like we, you know, we've gone through a lot of time or anything at that point. It's still not. If it was a longer movie, I might agree with you. But uh yeah. I, I mean, for certain certain movies, in my mind. I, I don't mind like a satisfying act structure to them. Like, you know, if it's something like Bride with White Hair or something where there's like a there's like a natural feel of how I want it to go. But for a horror movie like this, I, I have and, and and for any character driven movie, I don't worry too much about that sort of thing. I, I sort of draw a distinction between these types of films. I, um, I, think, I think the the thing is when he goes back, he doesn't go back to the same place. He goes back to the revolution. It's it's different. The if he went back and it was just him dealing with this guy, it would be different. But I, I feel like because he goes back and the environment he was in has completely changed because of this revolution going on. I feel that's what makes it interesting. Too. I I also kind of like the back and forth between Boston and Haiti. Just this idea that he's like that it, it just makes it feel like it's set in the real world where that's what people do, you know, in, in uh, you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, right. Well, and they do I, establish yeah. that earlier in the movie too, because the beginning of the movie is him going there, then coming back, then going there. So they're yeah. okay. I'll, I'll grant you that. Yeah. You, well, you the beginning is him going to the Amazon. Around. Remember he's in the Amazon at the beginning, not Haiti. 
So oh, that's right. He is at a different place. Yeah, it? but he does yeah. see the same. Which <laughs> it's the same guy though doing the uh, doing the magic. If you remember that, he sees that same guy. But it's not clear if that's because he's hallucinating or if that's because the guy. Well, is... It's a vision. I think it's. I mean, yeah. it's meant to be a vision of the future that yeah. this guy is going to be. It's kind say, of a I, warning of what the trouble I, he's going to get into. Yeah, I, I liked the visions. I liked the ambiguity of them. I like that the movie is comfortable with putting its characters and us into a delirium. That was rad. Um, that's that's a gold star from me on on the movie. So yeah, yes, I, I yes wish Wes Craven had like yeah. made a movie entirely about nightmares because they're they're very good in this movie. Yeah, I, I will. I will say, Joel, I could certainly see a lot of people seeing the movie and having the reaction you did to the structure because it does kind of feel like it's not. It doesn't feel like it's on a um, on a skeletal outline of a film. Do you know what I mean? It's got it's it's kind of an organic uh, flow, um, and also there are weird moments in it. Like I completely forgot about the sex scene that happens when they're like, I forget what they, they were on some kind of pilgrimage. Yeah, yeah, they go to, like, that waterfall cave, and, like, man, what a great place to seduce somebody. Like, good job, Bill Pullman. That was... Actually, I think that was more her seducing him, if I'm... Yeah. (laughs) She was on top in that scene in more than one way, so... But for me, this was interesting because I hadn't seen it since then. I don't think I'd seen it since I first saw it. I might have seen Either. it. One I've time. only seen it once before. I loved it, but I think it's gonna. It's a very obscure movie. It like disappeared from the face of the earth. Because well, I loved this movie when I first saw it. Well, what I remember is I remember seeing the ads when it was first being released. Yeah. And and yeah. and and I and that was when I was living in California as a kid. So my mind sort of evenly. That's like a really important date in my mind. And I saw it after I came back to Boston. But yeah. I remember having this anticipation, this movie, because they sh- I think in the trailer they showed you the being buried alive scene or they showed you s- some portion of it. I don't remember exactly. And I found that so like I got to see what happens to him. Do you know what I mean? Like I got and so, that, that was a super cool part of this movie that they started with the guy getting buried alive. And then later on, that same thing happens to our main yeah. character, like beat for beat. And like yeah. that guy kind of becomes his spiritual guide. First of all, I like that guy. He's yeah. such a sympathetic character, and he the the actor who does that plays it to the hilt. Gorgeous performance. But then, like Bill Pullman later on, when they make him a zombie, they give him the same makeup, and they both have this. We are now both mad hobos in this underworld. <laughs> yeah. Look at each other when they meet. It's so beautiful. Uh-huh. Well, it's one of the things I like about the craft of the movie is that it does it prepares you for all of these things that are going to happen in so many ways, and especially with the bur- the burial alive is foreshadowed heavily mm. throughout the movie and i i really like that because you again they showed it in the trailer so you know it's coming and it just is this it's just this inevitable thing that you it's like it's like the worst possible imaginable thing that could happen to somebody and oh, yeah, poe wrote about it man there's a it's, yeah. it's a, a horror <laughs> staple like getting buried alive is is some spooky stuff one of the best episodes of uh, tales from the crypt is about being conscious after you're dead and having to deal with the horror of your body going through rigor mortis and everything. It's a great Alfred Hitchcock presents uh, episode on that too. Yeah. See? I, yeah. Horror classic. What I like too, is that, you know, it's going to happen. They tell you what's going to happen. You're dreading it. And then when it happens on top of that happening, he puts a spider on the guy, he puts a tarantula. Mm. And that's like, it's just like this extra little bit that just is like, Oh, you're doing that too. Like, 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 a, you know, uh, like you're already that tarantula, by the way, it's huh? not, they don't address that tarantula later. You know what I'm saying? No, I think it was just there to kind of unnerve you. And then I guess it just, I mean, what's the chances of the tarantula actually biting you? 
Well, he's no, paralyzed. True. Think of them being paralyzed as like the advantage. At least it's not going to bite you because you're not going to flinch. <laughs> but that, but that made it like the idea of being paralyzed with a tarantula on you while you're being. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was rough. They were yeah, crawling was... over his face too. I mean, it's and, not like it's just crawling on him. It's like literally crawling over his open eyes. But then there's also the scene where he sees the zombie bride, and then later when they dig up the corpse, it's that same. Yeah, oh, that was great. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! Like I said, the the parts of this movie that I loved, I loved so much that they really made the the parts that I hated. It was a powerful contrast. I was all over the place emotionally <laughs> watching this film. Now, what I yeah, did, I, mean, like, I agree with you. The voiceover wasn't good, but it, it it didn't. I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't detract from it in the same level it does for you. I was just like, yeah, this voiceover isn't very good. But uh, uh, there were a lot of voiceovers in the '80s too, so I think we were pretty immune to. Yeah, yeah. I thought I don't. I think it was more commonplace then. Like I, I don't think it. I don't think it affected me at all when I watched this in the '80s. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's weird. It was weird watching this because. Having not seen it in so long, I didn't know Bill Pullman was the star of this because I had no idea who Bill Pullman was when this movie came. Like, wow, Bill Pullman's in this, huh? Wow. See, yeah, that's what I had seen what about party plays? before this came out, so I was I was aware of Bill Pullman when when this one came out. Uh, yeah. Also, ruthless people. I don't know if you. So here's the interesting thing. He was in ruthless it, people too. I he was in ruthless that. people. Not only that, but there's a line in the movie where he's talking to the woman. And they're supposed to go to Tahiti, but he's playing a moron. And so she's yeah. like, okay, here's the plan. This is what we're going to do. And he's like, yeah. And then we're going to Haiti. And she's like, no, you idiot. Tahiti. And I think it's <laughs> funny that Wes Craven then cast him in a movie where he's going to Haiti. Go to Haiti. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I can remember the character in Ruthless People. I'm just not picturing it as Bill Pullman. Because that's I'm another movie sure I haven't Bill seen. I'll double check it, it to make sure I'm not wrong about that. But I'm 90% sure that he... Yeah, he was. it was his first movie. Okay. I remember Judge Reinhold being in it. But I don't remember <laughs> Bill Pullman. Yeah, Judge Reinhold, Danny DeVito. It was a real... Uh, Bette Midler, I think, was in it. Yeah, it was a cast of the time. Holy shit, Lone Star was Bill Pullman. Look at that. I yeah. thought it was a guy that just looked like Bill Pullman. It's no, the man Bill himself. Pullman... Bill Pullman had a whole life before he was in Independence Day that was, you know, significant. I, yeah, I, he I, lost I, Highway before uh, before Independence Day too. I think that was okay, the first. I, I knew he was in really Lost kind Highway. Of glommed on to and I, but honestly, I think they cast him in this because he did bring kind of like a. Um, there's obviously like a little bit of an Indiana Jones thing with his character. A little bit. Yeah, so I think they wanted somebody who kind of fit that sort of a mold. Um, he's good casting. I, I yeah, no he's really charismatic. Uh, well, he's charismatic, but he's also a doofus. <laughs> like a yeah. total fish out it's of water. interesting. He's like charismatic, but he's very unlikable in a lot of ways. But it's yes. good because he's doing yeah. shady things, so you don't want him to be likable. Um, well, all of his friends are like criminals or like madmen and things like that. It's great. <laughs> Those are counter-revolutionaries and such. But, uh, but yeah, I, I remember really loving the movie. And then... I, had, I hadn't seen it in ages and watching it again. I mean, I was surprised by how much of it I forgot. Like I, there was a lot yeah. of this movie that I did not remember, but again, I, I still, it's still to me, I understand why I loved it. I think it's definitely a very, you know, a very excellent horror movie. Um, and, and also I think it, again, I think the way that it handles voodoo, the way that it, like, again, the voiceover, I think we can all agree is not the greatest thing in the world, but the, the the way that the movie is sort of presented in a very documentary style where everything feels grounded, but then it slowly kind of shifts into these moments where it gets super surreal 
I thought worked because you're kind of pulled out of reality into these dream worlds. Yeah. And yeah. And, I, I, I am mean, a sucker for dream sequences in movies. So, and then the fact too is that it, because it is fairly grounded and it's shot in Haiti and everything, when they do go to the news footage, a lot of times when you use actual real footage in a movie, it feels jarringly fake yeah. to an extent. Yeah. <laughs> and but it's like, no, nah, it, it actually was very organic in this movie because well, we it was also recent too. It was like recent news. Yeah, footage. So it wasn't like that effect of like we're going to nineteen seventies news. Was, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it was pretty seamless when they pulled that footage in. Well, I really liked what that added to the movie because on top of him having to contend with all of the voodoo stuff, and initially you think that Mozart's going to be the bad guy, right? Like they, like he even says, I'm going to yeah. dead man. I, I didn't remember the movie enough. I, I couldn't remember if he was the guy, if it was whether it was him that bear, ends up burying him or whether it was the uh, the, the head of the police. I I. I, my, I had I had like scene, little scenes and images in my head, but the actual structure of the plot was uh, something I pretty much forgot. I, yeah, I had the same experience. So I was like, wait, is Mo I didn't know if Mozart was a bad guy on this viewing or Mozart not. Mozart was a great character. Oh, my God. Yeah, man. I I was genuinely upset when they uh, killed him. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I, I really wanted him to like rise from the dead in that last scene. Like, I'm back, <laughs> motherfucker. Um, yeah, decapitation. It's hard to make someone a zombie after you decapitate them. That's the problem. Yeah, if you're a coward, oh no, go. go. <laughs> but what what we was good about Frank it is Stein, but you know, <laughs> uh, is you just have the, like this threat. That it's it's like there is the supernatural threat, but the real thing is this guy's earthly power that gives you know what I mean. Like like the, the yeah. supernatural is very important in the movie. But this guy can just haul him into that interrogation chamber anytime he wants. <laughs> that and, scene, man. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, having 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 been in a lot of sketchy situations throughout the world <laughs> in dangerous countries, it's like this movie fucking nails it. Like I'd already lived in the Middle East when I saw this movie the first time. And it's just like, yeah, this this the the atmosphere this gets being in a dangerous country is perfect it, yeah, it, 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 it really nails the scrotum to the chair <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are movies that have done that in various ways but i found that to be the most horrifying form of that that i've ever seen on film i think because they don't actually show you what happens to you don't yeah. know um you're not sure what he did until later yeah yeah and uh, and uh. he does assure you that he seems to be in working order after everything, but still, <laughs> I mean, that was a pretty thick nail, though. <laughs> so, yeah, I, when you first suggested doing this movie, I think that image, that scene was one of the first. Oh, when you mentioned Serpent in the Rainbow and all these memories poured up, that that scene was one of the first things that entered my head. I was like, well, ah. I feel like that and the dreams, the two things, because because Joel, you had said mm -hmm. like, it felt like different than other Wes Craven movies. And I agree visually it feels a little different, but I think thematically the dreams and also I could be confusing my remakes with my originals, but I think in the original, what was it? The third house or the last house on the left? What's the name of that movie? It's like his first house on the left. left. Yeah. What? Yeah. That, it, didn't, didn't she bite off his penis in the original <sighs> that, or am I mistaken? I've been too long for me. Okay. I can't remember. The only so, yeah. piece biting off I remember is in the movie Dread, which was great. <laughs> I feel like again, I could be wrong, but I think I think that that might be something Wes Craven has done before. Was my point. I, I don't. Quick question, Joel. I don't remember the movie. A movie called Dread. Is it based off the Clive Barker story, or is it something different? It's based off Judge Dread. 
Oh, Dread. Oh, that Dread. Okay. It's, there you it's, go. It's a fantastic Clive Barker story called Dread. D-R-E-A-D. But uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen I haven't seen Dread actually. To my, I, I do need to check that one out. Ooh, that's oh man. Well, after October, yeah. We okay, so I just checked it out in Last House on the Left in the original. Uh, the mother bites off his penis and swallows it. So, I feel like that's a if it is if it's in two movies at least that a director has that makes it a theme of the director. <laughs> yeah, I, it's okay. become a motif. I, a motif, a motif. ooh, yeah. Yeah, motif. And, and I would say the dreams, <laughs> definitely. Like, he's most famous for the dreams. Yeah, so, yeah. So, um, fun, fun, embarrassing personal history. Uh, back when I was, like, 12, 13, I actually underwent an extremely painful testicular torsion. I had to have surgery for it. So, seeing this scene, I felt some things I'd forgotten I could feel. That was the only <laughs> time, by the way, in my life I vomited from pain. Just, just pain. I think it's understandable. Yeah. That seems like a very understandable bond. Testicular oh, yeah. nausea is a real thing. Oh, oh it, it was it was not pleasant. So, yes, that scene hits very, very close to... I'm going to go with home. Because so, the term <laughs> is close to home. <laughs> but, but, yeah, but I would say it does feel kind of... It does feel... It's like an interest... What I would say is an interesting installment in his filmography. That's maybe yeah. what I would say about it. Yeah. Um, uh, it's clearly effective. That's uh, I think we can agree with that. It, uh, it is well, and it, it definitely cements that jerk as a villain. You know, like yeah, that's, I, I yeah, feel like that was a moral a, event horizon. He was a really good villain. I thought. Uh, it was, it was yeah, really, really fun to hate. Um, I know this is gonna get me killed or canceled or something, but it reminded me of Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> like, he had that same kind of energy where he was just delighting in his dark sorcery. He stole people's souls. I he, I love him. I love villains like this. Um, just delightful. Like, not just that they're evil and powerful, because he's definitely evil and powerful, but he's just like this maniacal sadist on top of that. Yeah. He gives him this wonderful, mm -hmm. like, Baron Harkonnen energy that makes him just I just love him. And I love that they, they dressed him all in red. It, it kind of reminded me of, hmm. of all things Monos, the hands of fate, which for all of its flaws oh, had a pretty wow. compelling villain. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are actually elements I find interesting in Manos. I have to say, even if it is terrible overall. Yeah, I know. Manos is garbage. There's a reason it was done not once, but yeah. twice by the MST3K crew. Yeah. Um, I mean, it deserves its derision, but there were compelling elements. Yes, and I think it's in a lot of ways it's kind of the the karmic opposite of Serpent and the Rainbow, where this is primarily <laughs> a good movie, but there are some elements that really frustrate me about it. Manos is just frustrating, <laughs> and there's a few <laughs> elements that I admire about it. The yeah, universe yeah. balances itself with those two. Yeah, and a lot a lot of the compelling elements of Manos are just low budget horror. Sometimes low budget cheapness can actually enhance it, and I think I think it's kind of accidental benefits with a lot a lot of that in Manos. Yeah, I know we're not reviewing Manos, but Manos always felt like like an unmarked black video cassette you found in the basement of an abandoned home and put in. You know, yeah, like and that energy is impossible to replicate. It's, that well, the early sequence where they're just driving. You know, it, there's there is just this ominous mood of doom when they're kind of going on that little road trip at the beginning. I, and it's part of it is just the cheapness of this footage and everything. But I don't know, it, it something about it works. 
Okay, so let me see. I had I had a few other minor quibbles and complaints about this movie. They're they're pretty minor overall because I think we've we've gone over some of the stuff that's in it that's really good, like not just good but great. Like reasons you should absolutely go watch Serpent in the Rainbow because it's a classic and it's brilliant stuff. But like, mm-hmm. okay, his spirit animal is what was it a it was a leopard or something? Wasn't it's a it? jaguar. I think yeah, it's a jaguar. Ja- jaguar. That's right. That shows up one other time in the movie, and then it kind of gets abandoned. I don't remember it showing up again. Once, I feel like it shows up twice. I'm trying to place it though. Yeah, it shows it's the up. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I wish I had had a chance to see it again because I saw it on <laughs> Wednesday, and I don't remember the. I, I I would like to have paid more attention to the jaguar. Um, yeah, it yeah, shows up one I, I, I time around Act up. Two, and I think it's in the climax, maybe, but it's really vague. The climax also is problematic for me because I don't know what's happening to him. Is he a zombie or not? Like, zombies are at the beck and call of these evil, like, Budawan sorcerers. And, like, he's not. He's, like, wandering around and doing stuff. Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, I think think he has free will so long as that guy doesn't actively control him through magic, though. Do you know what I mean? So I think the, that the, was a, like the guy's sole focus in the last in the climax of the film. Like, why isn't he? Like, you know, I don't again, know. I didn't, again, well, I have to watch it again to kind of review that. But I, I, I didn't notice that going through. But I can see what you're saying. Um, yeah, I don't know what I, the I rules like are. To an extent, though, there is kind of an anthropological thing that was where people within a culture can kind of be pulled into this mindset. You know, where it's like where magical control can be a cultural thing, psychological thing, not an actual, you know, universal magical thing. So it's like, I almost feel like because he isn't, he just isn't part of that world. And so it doesn't quite affect him the same way. Because I mean, remember they they do the thing when he's in Boston, they do the test. They're like, yeah, after this drug wears off, totally normal. (laughs) You know, it's like, this guy thinks, these people think they're zombies and that has some effect on them. Like it's, it's, it's a psychological thing as much as it is a, I mean, yeah, it's I, ambiguous. I like the ambiguity of it, to be honest. I do like the ambiguity. I think the ambiguity is a strength of the film overall. I just feel like it would have been nice to know what the stakes were, because I just kind of, so, kind of found myself confused. You know? So without, without viewing it again, my assumption while I was watching it was that the bad guy would basically have to get the jar that has his soul and do oh, some okay. magic to send him on some mission to do something horrible he doesn't want to do. And, okay. I, and I think that that would have still been the stake because the thing that the, basically what it sounded like is he was he was using them to enforce the will of the regime. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so I think that was the idea. Uh, okay. So he would probably that, be doing like political assassinations and various other things that are horrible. Well, um, I just, I mean, OK, so you've got you've got Bill Pullman, you've poisoned him. He's in the coffin. You're putting the tarantula in. Why don't you just put his soul in a jar then? Why? Why wait for soul- him to- Soul was in the jar. So why didn't he use it? Like again, well, the other thing, the other thing to keep in mind too is that he didn't dig up, dig Pullman up. It's the he got dug up by uh, oh, okay. the other zombie. So it's like I feel like I feel like a step in the magic got skipped. Like, you know, he didn't go he didn't go reclaim the body and wake him up. It was okay, the so other zombie. Pullman. Okay, that, that makes a little more sense. He just was well, he just wanted to bury him alive as a zombie and have it or, wear off and die hideously. He didn't got, care to have a soul. Zombie might have dug him I'm up sure. before the other guy could come back to reclaim him. One of the two. Oh, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's unclear okay. what his actual plan was. 
I'm willing to bet there that this topic has been discussed online and after the podcast, we can probably go and find out what the rules and <laughs> Yeah, well, are. here's the thing. It should be, it doesn't have to be super apparent on initial viewing. Maybe a more careful second viewing will reveal it. But on an initial viewing, I definitely felt lost in the climax as far okay. as the stakes fair. were. So that's, that's a quibble. Uh, again, it's it's not even. I don't even feel like that warranted anywhere near the amount of vitriol I poured on the on the voiceover, which is my crown jewel of the Satan of this movie. Um, ugh. I I see what you guys are saying about it, and it is defensible. But oh man, nope, not for me, man. Well, it doesn't I, land, land, land. What was not defensible? I, I missed what your what what was not defensible. Oh no, it, it is defensible. Uh, it's the voiceover is defensible. You know. Oh and, no, I I I don't I I don't. I'm not going to defend the voiceover. I'm just going to say it didn't bug me as much as it bugged sure. you. It's really, sure. it's really my feeling. And I, I think they found the way around it, but it didn't, it didn't in any way ruin the movie for me. It was just kind of like, eh, yeah, I don't I like think that. I would voiceover. have had that reaction if Joel hadn't mentioned it, but because he did, I was just like, okay, what does this mean? Like I, I had to sit there and really I think I love that it. I had to place an actual Voodooan curse on you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I actually, yes. I, I almost sent a message to you saying, don't mention the voiceover to Adam because I want to see what is uh, <laughs> <laughs> personal message. I was going to say, I didn't see it in our group chat, so I was like, I, I, I was gaming last night, so I thought I just kind of missed a comment. No, he said it I disliked the voiceover entirely on my own, so it wasn't yes. a... But you don't detest it as Brendan does, therefore, our double-blind study reveals evidence that voodoo works, people, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> but, uh, the other thing, the one thing I'll say about it, too, is, uh, just the movie in general, and I think this also applies to uh, the people under the stairs. The thing I like about Wes Craven is he can do a highbrow horror movie that's still horror and doesn't feel like it's designed for an elite audience. Yeah, yes. and that's I think this, so. This movie's this accessible. Like a, yeah, yeah, it's it, pulpy it's, and good. It's accessible, pulpy, but it's also it's it's a higher level horror movie. There's more going on in it than like in I don't know. The Toxic Avenger or something. Uh, but <laughs> it, it is a cerebral and, and intelligent movie in a lot of ways. You know, it, it talks about things like, like Adam was talking about, like there's a distinction between how this thing influences Pullman versus how it influences the people yeah. that are native to the culture. And it even mentions that there's some psychological element to it. Like that's, yeah. that's a pretty clever thing to put in your horror well, movie, right? Yeah. I like yeah. the thing they did of having the one guy from the company who was like spiritual and the one guy who was purely scientific. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that worked. It was well, very. I like. I like the early scene too, where the, when, he, when they're first sending him on the mission, it's like, it's like Bill Pullman's character has a bit of ambiguity about the whole thing too. It's like he's kind of uncomfortable when his spiritual boss mentions to the guy that that's hiring them. You know, it's like, like, oh, well, he his his spirit animal guided him through, and Bill Pullman's character is kind of like. Uh, you know, it's like, I don't need to bring that up right now. <laughs> I, we, we can talk about the spirit animal later, boss. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't make me look, look like a the... this guy. He's going to pay me a lot of money. Uh... <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, oh, there was another uh, couple of quotes that I liked, too. I don't know if I got this quote right. Some of the quotes are fantastic <laughs> in this she's, film. She said something about him floating on water, and she's like, oh, I know why, because shit floats. Yeah, yeah exactly. was, like yeah. you walk on. I forget what the quote was, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good burn. water, yeah. And the the other one that I thought like really helped explain a concept, especially in 1988, that people wouldn't have 
people would people didn't really know much about voodoo at all. Like I said, we white zombie was kind of like our that was like the gold standard. Of, Tune in next time for white zombie. Yeah. Yeah, um, but there was a line there where she says Haiti is eighty five percent Catholic, but one hundred and ten percent voodoo. And you're uh, like, oh, okay, I think I get what you're talking about. Like, yeah, it doesn't, was, doesn't get into that the was weeds, a good quote. But, good yeah. quote. Um, so, you know, there were just scenes like that. Um, but also the scenes where like, you know, where it shows, I think like Adam was saying earlier, where it's, it's, it's a religion. It's not like, it, like this one guy is using it in a bad way, but they show her and him at another ceremony where it's being used for much more. Yeah. Like yeah she's, well, Paul, like, Paul Winfield's uh, character, uh, Lucian, he, uh, he's, yeah. he's a really good counterpoint to the evil Bokor. Yeah, he was a good choice too. I really liked it. Yeah, was great, great, but I thought he was a good choice for the role. Casting is uh-huh. good in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Top notch acting and performances. Um, yeah. Listen, yeah. And Kathy thing. Tyson was really good too. The the love interest doctor. Yeah. Man, you know yeah. what? I, she was fantastic. First of all, but it, I found her distracting because right in the face, she looks just like someone I used to know and had a huge crush on. <laughs> so the whole time, I was like, "Am I Bill Pullman in this universe? Oh God!" It was immersive in a very awkward way because that was back when I was like a teenager. So okay. anyway, well, uh, yeah, I, a golden, I, she's a Golden Globe nominated uh, actress too for uh, Mona Lisa too. So she uh, she's got some real. Uh, real yeah, she chops. was good. She really, I think, I think she was really used like essential for making the movie work because this is one of those films where if the love interest and it wasn't really love, it was more like lust. That becomes love or something, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it started off on a more primal level, but again, that made it more organic, and the chemistry was all really good in every scene. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked, I liked that it wasn't overwhelmingly love. That it was that it what did feel kind of more like, yeah, these are two people who are attractive and would naturally probably be passionate towards each other in this circumstance. But then it kind of becomes more of an attachment after. I thought that that worked. Um, yeah, and, I, I like that it goes from physical to like philosophical to emotional like it's got a really interesting progression you know because they're both good looking intellectuals so yeah, good looking yeah. is the first thing that triggers then they kind of find some ideological common ground and then like these deeper emotional bonds form and it's like I, that feels like a real relationship yeah because at yeah. one point she doesn't like him there's one point like the shit float scene you know where she's like you know, well, really yeah, they, they really squabble in that scene you know they're they're trying to overcome a lot of trust issues and such like and yeah, after that scene, they kind of get that energy out, and it's like, well, you know, we actually do agree on a lot of this stuff. So, uh, yeah, and I think I think that's all of my points for the movie, unless somebody else has something they want to raise about it. I think I'm done, but uh... yeah, I don't know, man. I I could actually go on about this movie probably for a while. <laughs> I will say overall, I really enjoyed this film, and I think it's a it's a slept on classic in a lot of ways. My own disdain. And antipathy for the voiceover notwithstanding, <laughs> it doesn't ruin the film. Like I, I came away as a net balance, a very positive reaction of this if, film. So if voiceovers didn't ruin Dune, they can't ruin many movies. Do you know what I mean? I think it is arguable whether they ruined Dune. I, Let's I, move I don't on. Think they ruined it. Well, <laughs> I, that's I, another I, podcast. Yeah, that's a, that's another discussion. If, I I am actually obsessed with Dune. So if we do Dune It'll take me a while. Okay. <laughs> I don't even think I have a good opinion. I simply have a long one. 
That's the standard Dune opinion, though, don't you think? <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> well, I think the thing with Dune adaptations, it's like having watched the, uh, you know, the, the Lynch one, having watched the Sci-Fi Channel one and stuff. It's like you, you almost feel like you could somehow meld elements of all yeah. the different well, Dunes. That's what I do. Into I, one. Just, I cherry pick my favorite ones, and then I always compare them to the book and insert the stuff that wasn't in the book into it, like the whole <laughs> yeah. Juice of Sefu thing. Yeah. The thing uh, is, the, cool. the Lynch one is the only one that didn't bore me, and all the other ones bored me to tears. And so, I, I had to rewatch the new one to love it. I love it now, but I, it took a rewatch. I watched the new one once when it when it first hit HBO Max. I gave it a watch, and I was enjoying it. But then, like twenty minutes towards the end, I kind of looked at my watch, like, "Oh, this is going to end soon," and this is a really terrible place to end the movie i just felt like I, I felt like it was starting to draw me in and i felt like i can't judge this movie until there's there's part two i feel like this is just this yeah is this is a prequel to the movie. sequel yeah yeah i i it's like so i'm just i'm just totally not forming an opinion mm -hmm. on the first one because i'm like i don't know if, if it has a good second half i'll like it if it doesn't i don't know it, it just doesn't stand on its own own feet so it's the, hard the to Lynch does but it has the opposite problem where it kind of ends yeah. in the same place when you think about it you know it yeah. falls apart at that moment yeah, so it, it goes it goes at the fast forward once it gets to the point where the uh the new version ends just kind of like let's let, let's cram the whole rest of the book into 20 minutes but at least it's not boring that's the thing no it's not that's boring, not boring. Yeah. I, I i i like and it's the visually it's just a you know not as a dune adaptation but just as a crazy science fiction movie you can put on it's uh, i like it in that respect my, my feeling is i when i see a movie based on and again we're kind of veering off but it, when i see a movie <laughs> based on a science fiction story or fantasy story that i like i don't want it to be the same because yeah i feel yes. like the worst thing the worst experience i ever had in the movies was watching iRobot and having asimov fans directly behind me and i'm an asimov fan <laughs> but directly oh, yeah. behind me Pointing out everywhere that it deviated from Asimov lore or anything like oh, that. Oh, that's terrible. Um, Imagine doing that during terrible. Blade Runner, man. Like, come on. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I love Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Blade Runner just isn't. It's barely an adaptation of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. I, uh, I, I love both of them, but they're they're not the same story. So the, the only thing that I would add about it, which I touched on at the beginning, is that this really you really need to see Jacob's Ladder after you watch this, so that you can see yeah. the influence that this movie clearly had. Uh, yeah. Like, like right down to the concept. Let's take a book about somebody who had a weird psychedelic experience about a drug and is vaguely horrific. And let's turn that into a horror movie that's, you know, really gets you to question reality. And, and this one like is it, doing it more from like a, Psycho even the end, yeah. Even the end title card, it does the same thing that Jacob's yeah. Ladder does. Wow. Yeah, they're, they're really similar. And, th and in fact, remember I mentioned when we did Jacob's Ladder, the scene in the tub really feels like the scene where he's being put into the coffin with the blood rising up. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. Thing. You're right. Yeah. You're right. So, I, I, uh, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I view them as very linked movies, um, and I feel like you almost don't get Jacob's Ladder without. Surfing I don't movies. think you would. No, it wouldn't be the same. Um, so yeah, also influential. Another reason to go see this fine film. Um, again, I yeah, it is sad this is so kind of neglected because I loved the movie when I first saw it, and it just kind of has left my mind. I mean, I never see it; I just kind of forgot about it, and uh, it, it is kind of a shame it, it doesn't get more attention. I mean, it's got every. It's a zombie movie. It's got a really great title, and it's 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 a it, it, <laughs> it's center. 
Yeah, and it's centered around being buried alive. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, what's what's the other movie that does that? The uh, the vanishing, right? Like, that's the the other big. Yeah. One. Oh my God, you know? the vanishing. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I I I I I think it's definitely worth a look. Um, it, you know, it, and it's and, and I don't I, I don't know how this became obscure. Oh my God. It's funny because <laughs> when I whenever I talked about this on the podcast, I talked about it like it was some great classic horror movie. And I assumed that it was this big thing that like people still talked about. But when I was like looking up like articles on it and things like that for the podcast, every single one of them was like a rarely noted entry in the is. Yeah, it's got a very sparse Wikipedia page. The production section on the Wikipedia page is four lines. That's Mm. how much there is on the production of it. You know, it's. Yeah, it's it, it it is really neglected. I, I feel like this movie needs uh needs to get needs more attention. Also it needs a um uh what do you call it? It needs a restoration because the version I saw looked fine, but it definitely had like a slightly faded look and I feel like Mine looks really good. What, what did you watch it on? I watched it on Prime. Okay, I watched it on uh on Peacock. The Peacock version looked really good to me. So it, I, I, maybe this restoration. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe, so maybe there is one, or maybe I was just like being finicky while I was watching it. That's always possible. <laughs> it could uh, be. It could be. But I was I was impressed because I was ready, realizing this was kind of a neglected movie. I was ready for it to be like you know a transfer of the VHS tape or something. Oh, well, it wasn't that. Bad. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. It was just oh, a little real. bit faded. A little bit faded is how I would describe it. Yeah. Yeah. But enough where I was like, I remember there being more vibrancy to this image. Do you know what I mean? It's like when I yeah. saw. When I saw the um, DVD of not the, the Blu-ray of Dracula um, in the early 2000s, and I had, you know, that movie has these vibrant colors, and then I got this yeah. Blu-ray version where it was like all dampened, and it just uh, sucked the life out of the movie. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, uh, Serpent in the Rainbow. It's available on Prime, but apparently, it's maybe better to watch it on Peacock or YouTube. I, I watched, maybe I I, maybe I'm just less picky, but I, I thought the Peacock version looked nice. So. Okay. I mean, I will scrutinize movies when I watch them and sometimes get into my own head about whether the transfer is bad. <laughs> I do, too. So, I do, too. So, you know, it's... You know, I, I, I could be wrong. I, could I, be I wrong. have Prime, too, so I could take a look at the Amazon Prime version. Yeah, later yeah after the podcast, the dilemma. That, we, can, we can verify whether, uh, <laughs> whether that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I would hate to suffer through both visual and auditory hell to watch this movie. Although I gladly would, it it actually captured my attention. It's rare for a movie to to really do that nowadays. But yeah, it, this is worthy of your time, folks. Well, the the experience I had watching it again was again like one of the things that I'll say when we review these movies. Sometimes movies feel like work because we have a podcast and you have to watch them, and sometimes yeah. You know, it, it was that feeling of like, I was just f- the same with people under the stairs. I was just like, especially the moment when they got into the boardroom of the pharmaceutical company. And it was like, oh, I love this concept of them going, you know, to Haiti because he needs to get this drug for, you know, to be a new and his form of anesthesia. Um, I, I like yeah. the way the execs looked at it a lot. It was it was compelling. It's like, oh, we can save so many people. And he references that later in the movie. Good structure. Yeah, good I love when talking to Mozart, and he's like, he's like, oh, this is gonna save. It. And Mozart just kind of amused at the fact that this zombie medicine, the zombie drug, being used to to save people. He's just he's, he just finds the the delicious irony of it. But and the uh, other funny thing about it is, it's almost like he does it. He know he's his his reason for doing it is it's gonna it's gonna save people. But it's almost like he doesn't care about that at the same no. time. 
No, no, he does. He does. I'm saying he's, he's amused by the concept. Yeah. He's not like, oh, oh, wonderful, but, you know. But yeah, I will say, as far as this movie being engaging, I had a really busy week, and I didn't get around to watching this till after like 12:30 last night. And I, I thought, okay, I, I, we've got the podcast tomorrow afternoon. I may watch just the first half and watch the rest in the morning. Mm-hmm. And no, nah, I, I, I had no trouble staying awake yeah. through this movie. It never even occurred to me to, to turn it off and watch the rest in the morning. Very, very watchable movie. Yeah. And also that oh, the one scene we didn't really mention, the scene with the tear down the side of the Oh, window. I meant that to is, mention that. Yes. Yeah. That that yes. scene is so like not it's scary, it's emotional, and it just completely sets the stage for all of the horror that's gonna unfold over the course of the film. Yeah. Um, and it's the be- the best possible way. Like they don't they, they don't have like most other movies, when they show somebody buried alive, there's all this other stuff they do to convey the terror. But that one little teardrop was perfect. Um, you know, it's just yeah. so. So, yeah, again, Serpent in the Rainbow. Definitely check it out uh, again. I, I think we mentioned it, but Wes Craven and, and not a very well-known Wes Craven movie, apparently, which is reasonably awesome. obscure. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. And we'll be back on. Uh, I think with White Zombie, it depends on where we're going. I think we're going to do White Zombie next. And uh, until then, we will talk to you later.